Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Hello and welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. I'm Andrew McDougall, and today it's a bit of a different one. It's a festive podcast, a holiday podcast, uh, because we are looking to wrap up um, season three. Uh, And indeed, this year, 2021, is coming to a close. Uh, So we're having this festive wrap-up podcast, and I'm joined by fellow hosts today. So I'd like to welcome uh, Alicia to the fold. Welcome, Alicia, all the way out in Australia. Hello, yes, all the way out. It's uh, late at night for me here, so thank you very much for having me. And forgive me if I say some weird stuff throughout throughout the podcast. It's the point of a festive podcast, I believe. Excellent. Um, it's so close to Christmas. Other end of the spectrum, other side of the planet, uh, and other side of the day as well. Here we have uh, Andrew. As you'll all remember Andrew from his silky tones uh, on the podcast. So welcome, Andrew. <laughs> Hello. Welcome. Always a pleasure, Andrew. Always a pleasure. And then also finally, uh, last but by no means least, uh, we have Sam, who is also in the UK um, along with me. Um, I've made that a little bit more underwhelming, Sam, but you're still just as welcome. So welcome and thanks for joining us today. Hello, and happy to be benefiting from the nice midday time point. (laughs) Exactly. Me me and Sam are probably the freshest here today, so uh, all the pressure's on us, really. Yeah. Um, But as this is a sort of a festive wrap-up holidays podcast, uh, I thought we'd start talking each, uh, or bringing to the table each, a topic that we're interested in or intrigued or excited about from this year, or indeed looking forward to next year, the sort of developments that we'll see. Uh, I'm also then going to have a small data quiz to wrap up the year as well. We are a data company, so... uh, I'll be testing all your knowledge with some not necessarily festive themed data points, uh, but hopefully it'll be some good talking points for us. Um, But yeah, indeed, we've all brought to the table, I hope, um, one topic that we can discuss today from this year, looking forward to next. Uh, So who wants to go first? Andrew, are you uh, keen to take this on? Yes, I am, Andrew. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, uh, buy now, pay later, of course, was a huge theme in 2021. And of course, we saw uh, across the globe, companies like Klarna, Affirm, Afterpay, experiencing incredible growth. Uh, in fact, actually, if I get, we go back, we actually hosted a podcast back in 2020 um, with um, uh, Thomas Slide and, and Mark Miller. And we talked about buy now, pay later and how it was like the right product for the right time. And of course, 2021, it really sort of appeared to be the case but we just in the us we just had you know we had thanksgiving we just had um black friday and cyber monday those the big shopping days and it was just fascinating because we saw the ceo of paypal came out and said that buy now pay later was basically the star of this of the shopping season so far they experienced 400 percent growth um they had 750,000 transactions in just one day he actually referred to um, November and said that, you know, they're now up to 10 million consumers who've used PayPal's pay in for buy now, pay later products. But this kind of just got me thinking. So what I'm intrigued and in thinking about 2022, it just makes me wonder, is this the first indicator of a buy now, pay later bubble? you know, that could burst in 2022. Obviously, we've already seen the UK government clamping down on buy now, pay later. Um, we, like to, um, uh, we like to follow um, NYU professor Scott Galloway, and he referred to buy now, pay later as, you know, simply a loan rebranded uh, for debt-averse millennials. Anyway, so we'll see, um, you know, in the, certainly in the US, supply of credit is on the rise. We're, we're seeing consumers spending more. I think uh, the next step to that, of course, is an increase in demand for credit. So credit is on the rise. 
These buy now, pay later products are getting more and more popular. You know, of course, consumers, it encourages consumers to spend more. So will it be buy, buy, buy now, pay later? Do you like that? Do you see what I, I do? do? I do like that. I do like that as well. Yeah. <laughs> is this just all part of just like one vicious cycle now as well, though, where it's kind of like you just you mentioned bubbles there, and it's kind of like is that yeah. is that just essentially what it is? We're just going through this cyclical nature of we do this, and then it reaches a breaking point, and then it's kind of crashes massively, and we're all in a bit of trouble, and then it just it carries well, on again. It's, it's almost like do do we learn from these experiences? Well, that's a great point. I think it's all accelerated, right, by the type of the, the media landscape that we live in. It's easier to create these bubbles, perhaps, um, because certainly with these buy now, pay later products, of course, they are heavily driven by influencer marketing, by social media marketing. So it creates this sort of environment around it. And it's similar to some of the other trends that we see, of course, that create, you know, a trend can catch, catch you know, get some wind behind it and sort of set sail and uh, create these bubbles perhaps a little bit more easily. So I think that's an interesting point. I just wanted to ask: did, did we see it facilitate more purchases over over those those holiday periods, um, or bigger value purchases as well? Well, well, yeah. I mean, and that is the big claim, of course, is that you know the pitch to, of course, retailers, and of course, you're in Australia, which is where this all started, right? This is Sorry, uh, yes, yeah. uh, <laughs> with Afterpay. Um, so, you know, I think obviously the pitch to retailers is that it, you increase the uh, the purchase because you know you have this accessibility to um, instalment financing right there at the point of sale. You have you know, younger consumers who don't want to use credit cards uh, find this sort of method of payment, you know, very appealing. Of course, the downside, of course, is that it does encourage you to spend more perhaps than you would typically spend. Uh, and at the end of the day, it is credit. So uh, no matter how much you sort of brand it and package it up and get influencers to market the product, it is, uh, it is credit. And um got to pay it back that's tough because it's it's more accessible almost than credit as well it's right there or is it actually it feels like it is to me oh of course yeah it's right there at the point of sale at the checkout online or even now at the checkout in in store so i think it's the um you know you know you buy now pay later but you have to pay um and so that is the uh you know that, that that's the key point right so yeah, I mean, where, that's how I think perhaps there's a bubble. Uh, we'll see perhaps next time, this time next year, we'll see how it's played out. But um, certainly I think it will be an interesting one to watch in 2022. Do you think this is like a developing culture from the last sort of year, 18 months as well with everything that's been going on globally from the pandemic, obviously, and things like that, but where we have got in a situation where sort of bailouts and furlough schemes and all these sort of ways of helping out has also come into play. So it's almost like you say, it's, it's, it's not free money. Of course, you do have to pay it back, but it's almost, it does that fit into that narrative around buy now, pay later as well as in like, this is something that helps you out now, but you do still have to pay that back later. Is, are we getting into just that culture as a society? Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it, effectively it is pers- from the consumer side, of course, it is free in, in, in the sense that you get to pay and, you know, you don't have to pay the interest or, or charges. The retailer uh, pays the charges. But of course, if you miss a payment, then you do start paying late fees and that's where it can really, um, really get you into trouble. That's a really nice positive point to end on as well, I think, before we move on to the next topic. Uh, and the next topic, I'm going to go to Alicia. Um, and I've seen uh, a, a short summary of what you want to talk about, Alicia, and it is the climate. So I'm not sure this is going to get any more positive. It's probably um, not going to yeah, get But yeah, Alicia, what's, what's, your, what's your key sort of intriguing talking point from this year looking forward to next as well? Yeah, I guess what I'm really looking forward to seeing. So 
Over the past few months, we've been working on the global consumer trends and I've been off the back of that rather immersed in the world of sustainability. So specifically um, consumers' understanding of climate change and of carbon emissions. So my thing that I'm really keen to see play out over the next year is how brands tackle carbon reduction and how they communicate those targets, um, their emissions, all of it to consumers. So now that uh, COP26 has finished, um, and everyone, I guess, around the world, we all saw that play out. Um, and countries, you know, they've all set their targets. Consumers are going to be really focusing on, on what that means for all of them. What part do they have to play? And how do they mitigate their own impact? And how do they even understand what constitutes their own carbon footprint? Um, like understanding emissions is, is pretty difficult, to be honest. I, it's really tough. What is a carbon metric ton, a metric ton of carbon emissions? I have no idea what that means. Um, so I'm keen to see what language brands will be using, uh, storytelling techniques to help consumers understand and put into perspective what their impact will be and how they'll make it relevant to them. You know, what are the metrics they use to help them understand and compare products? Um, I think it's just such an open space at the moment that it's really up to brands how they want to tell those stories and communicate the changes that they're making to consumers to bring them along on this, this carbon reduction journey with them. Yes, that's interesting. It's like here in the US, there's a financial company, a fintech called Aspiration, which is all focused about on fighting climate change. And you're, you know, it's interesting you bring up that idea of like, what, what do you use to measure that? Well, a, couple, a few weeks ago, they launched a credit card where they will plant a tree for every purchase. And they basically are saying that if you, if you make 30 purchases, they've calculated that that will neutralize your carbon footprint. So to your point about, well, how do we measure this? You know, they've said, well, actually 30 trees will neutralize your carbon footprint. So after that, you unlock 1% cash back. So it's the aspiration zero credit card. So uh, it's a really interesting concept. And they're not, they're not the only ones doing it. I, I noticed uh, up in Canada, there's a, a prepaid card that's doing this planting trees to, to offset your, your, your carbon footprint. So that's, I guess that's one way that uh, they're doing it in financial services. I've seen one in the UK <laughs> that's literally a wooden card that they send out to you. So it's made of an actual tree, ah. which is quite interesting yeah. instead of plastic. Yes, and, re- and we've seen recycled plastic cards as well yes. that seem to be getting more, more popular. Um, not about kind of carbon footprint or anything, but one brand that I really like from a beauty perspective is a brand called Stop the Water While Using With Me, um, which I just think is a really great I- concept of just simplifying the message. It's like, we're going to do loads of great stuff. I think they donate to water charities and, you know, do all sorts of good stuff themselves as a brand, but kind of put some of that onus back on the consumer to do something and take a bit of action as well. And that puts some imperative on them. You know, when you're using this product, you also have to be mindful of what you're doing. Um, So I think that's one of my favorite examples kind of on that note of just simplifying that message for consumers as much as possible. And I think that's the key as well is simplify the message to provide clarity on what the message is. It's not to dumb anything down. It's not to treat people like they're silly, but we do need to simplify these messages because like, like you mentioned as well, Alicia, I, the language that's used, I struggle with, you know, I mean, carbon itself, when you're talking about car- carbon neutral, carbon positive, carbon negative, carbon this, car- it's very difficult to know exactly what all these different things mean when it's plastered on a product. You kind of think, okay, that's probably a good thing, but I don't necessarily actually know what that actually means. So I think simplifying is really the key message for consumers. Um, also as well, because consumers are silly, like once they get 
into like more involved in this and more informed in this, I think consumers are going to realize again that although they can still make the change and they want to make the change, they're going to then want to see the simplified message from brands as to what they're doing, because ultimately that's going to be the big movement. That's going to be the big thing that changes. Um, like when we saw like with the plastic bag or the plastic straw initiatives that have happened over the last few years, it, it's great to see how people change behavior. But at the same time, you also realize that that's a drop in the ocean of what we're actually, what can actually impact a sustainable movement on the planet. So it then gets put back on the brand. So I think there's going to be a lot more of this two-way conversation that I think brands and consumers need to be prepared to have. I was, I was going to say, I like it when I see like a, the, the products or the brand sort of actually sort of connecting the, the behavior with the, the cause. In other words, you know, you don't have to sort of make a deliberate attempt to try and uh, fight the cause. You can actually, it's embedded in the behavior. And what I mean by that is like, for example, you know, with that same product aspiration, you know, they will give you extra cash back when they, when you shop at certain companies that already have sustainable policies. Well, you know, as a consumer, you're motivated to get the cash back and you're motivated to get the cause. So the behavior and the cause are kind of aligned. I think that makes it much more, to your point about the message, Andrew, that makes it a lot more uh, simple to try and rather than trying to evaluate any trade off. Um, well, I'm not going to get my rewards, but I'm going to go and help the environment. Well, you know, we want everything, right? We want our cake and eat it. And consumers then are incentivized to learn which, uh, which retailers, which brands are actually on that list of, of, of companies that are doing a good job um, and, and, and mm. where they can get that, that money back from, that cash back. So, yeah, you're right. They can they they learn as they kind of go as well, which I think is really interesting. I love what you said before, Andrew, that consumers aren't aren't silly. Um, they're learning really quickly, and it's 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 a lot to take on. But if other brands are teaching consumers what to do and what to look for, then the ones that aren't kind of communicating correctly are going to be left behind as well. I think. Yeah, indeed. I think I think that's a really key point. And I'm really glad as well that you've brought this topic um, to this podcast because it is a really important, I think, topic given the COP26 just happening. And obviously for the next year, it's going to be really exciting to see those developments. I think that's a really good topic, much as Andrew's was before, to talk about in terms of what we're seeing now and also how that's going to be a big impact in 2022. So it'll be really interesting to see that. I also love as well, I didn't address this at the start, but obviously having two Andrews on the call um, can make it difficult then when you say Andrew. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew. But the one, the one really good thing. We do that just to make life interesting. But, don't but we? the one really good thing about that is when Alicia says, "You made a really good point, Andrew." We can both take the credit for that. I love that. In a way, oh, I was you nodding, did. Yeah. You both did. <laughs> Um, so moving on then to our third topic, which I'm also very keen uh, to hear more about then from Sam. Um, what, what topic is it that you're sort of bringing from 2021, looking ahead for 2022 as well? Yeah, so I think for me, I think the thing that I'm really interested in is all around kind of diversity and inclusion. I mean, specifically in beauty, because I'm a global beauty analyst. But, you know, I know that this crosses over in other categories too. But I think over the last kind of year or so, we've seen some really interesting developments from um, various different brands and companies. So, you know, we've seen Unilever getting rid of the word normal from packaging and advertising to stop implying that there's an, you know, unnormal, if that's the correct term. Um, you know, you've got degrees, the, you know, the world's first inclusive deodorant. Um, we've got affordable innovation starting to come through in beauty. So between partnerships with brands like Zara and Joe Loves is a great example of making kind of luxury products accessible at a lower price point. So you've got all these different layers of inclusivity coming through in beauty. And one that I think is particularly interesting is what we've seen in skincare is 
lots more products specifically designed for darker skin tones coming to market. And I think there's definitely an argument within that, that that has, that is a direct result of some of the, you know, noise and, um, conversations that were started around the time of the Black Lives Matter and the fact that, you know, as a result of that, retailers have given these kind of brands dedicated shelf space. There's much more opportunities. So as a result, we've seen this kind of flurry of launch activity. And I think that's, you know, really positive and it's really great. So I think it's a nice positive note, but also I think there's some still a long way to go. So I think looking ahead as we go into next year, I think what's going to be really interesting is how that kind of continues and we start to see more and more of that hopefully so I think again I think coming back to the idea that there's definitely space to kind of cater to disabled consumers more I think the World Health Organization uh, estimates that around 15% of the global population so one in seven people have some kind of disability and in reality there's not that many brands speaking to those consumers and there's so many kind of simple tweaks and changes to things like products that brands can do to be more inclusive so things like tactile markers on packaging still incredibly niche you know store design in retail is not designed for you know everybody and you know you try and i've presented to various different clients on this topic and you try and find exciting or interesting things that brands and retailers are doing and there's not very much um you know there's learnings to be taken i think starbucks has um you know signing stores which all of its you know staff you know know how to um you sign language, but that's, that's, you know, again, it's still so niche. So I think it's, it's one of those things where I think there's still so much space and opportunity. There's so much you can do. And I think, as I say, I've only touched on disability side of it there, but I think it's a never ending task. Um, and I'm really excited to see how it continues. Cause especially as I say, cause we've seen so much development in the last couple of years. So I think it's going to be really exciting and hopefully we'll see more development of that continue. Yeah, how much progress have we made is a kind of question that I'm mm-hmm. thinking about as I listen to you speaking. And I, and you know, I remember, you know, obviously our, back in 2020, certainly a lot of banks came out with these massive commitments around investing in diversity, equity, and inclusion. I remember Chase in particular, huge, huge investments, and they they recently again said that they were going to invest even more money. I guess you know, yeah, the question is, what's happened to all that money, right? I guess. Uh, did it really go to uh, to the right place and, and has it made a difference? It's definitely a question on my mind. Yeah, because that's another angle of it as well is that it's that idea of, you know, bringing in, you know, what you're doing as a business internally as well. So all the stuff that's behind the scenes. So you can do really great campaigns, really inclusive and um, diverse because that's one thing we've definitely seen in beauty for, you know, many, many years. But actually those brands standing up to that and making sure that their workforce is, you know, similarly diverse and they're supporting that diversity diversity in the right way so I think that's again another another interesting frontier so to speak that you know I don't think we've fully um we're certainly not fully there yet but as I say hopefully we'll keep progressing yeah I'm excited to see the progress that's made next year as well in this again I think it's a really good topic to think about where we are now and where we'll go because I think I actually think in the same way where we just spoken about a sort of sustainability topic just then and in sustainability we always talk about the say do gap you know like where you know companies say they're going to be sustainable and how are they doing it mm. I actually think that applies right now to inclusivity and diversity there's a lot of talk around oh we'll do this we'll do that we'll do whatever and it's not to say that talk is cheap and people aren't doing anything but I just feel like the action needs to catch up now we need to see that authentic 
movement being taken i think when it comes to these things i mean i love i love some of the examples like the the degree example the deodorants and all that i mean that ad the advertising behind that and the actual product sampling and things like that um yeah they're, they're just they're absolutely brilliant there's a there's another beauty company called Gra uh, grace beauty as well which has all these like color cosmetics for like which make it easier for people to hold uh, depending on again if you have different sort of motor skills or different mm. uh, sort of differently able when it comes to sort of doing sort of your mascara and things like that um so i love the these sort of movements which don't they don't shout about it as much but it's just there and i think that's the best message to be getting across now it's the actual doing rather than talk i think we talk quite a good game and in beauty i can relate sam obviously being a beauty analyst as well yeah. but we've talked about beauty you know five years ago i remember there's big campaigns over skin tones and things like that and when fenty beauty came out it was this big thing and i do question how much progress we've actually made since five years ago like it hasn't really accelerated as much as it should have so i think yeah i think it's a wonderful topic to to really look at for next year as well yeah potential podcast material <laughs> yeah, check it out. taking notes and I think it's also, it's just such a, I think it's a really exciting space for brands to have a look at because at the end of the day, design that's inclusive for everybody is ultimately the best design. Like it just works best for everybody. If you think of um, the taps that I'm going to act it out, but it's a podcast, so I don't know how to, you know, the taps that you kind of pull up instead of turn and twist with your hand, um, they're made for people who can't obviously, who don't have full use of their hands, but they're actually just a better tap. Or um, in McDonald's uh, in India, they created this box that could be used by people with one hand um, because that was an issue that so people could enjoy a Big Mac equally as well as people who had full use of two hands. But it turns out there's so many other different ways that you can use that box. You can, you know, if you're driving a car and you want to eat a Big Mac, if you're doing something else, like it's just a better design all around. So if you can incorporate inclusivity from the very start, I think there's just such an opportunity to to make a better product all around for everybody. It just makes sense to make your products and your website and everything about your brand much more accessible, right? I mean, even from even from even from a, a non sort of personal it sort of desensitized view, it makes more sense, right, to make your things as accessible yeah. as possible to people. So it kind of seems like a no brainer. So yeah, I think it's a as I say, a really interesting area to look at from what we've seen over the last year and last couple of years, um, but really interesting to look ahead for, for the next year as well and beyond, obviously. So yeah, another another good topic. Yeah, and I think it's one that can really, it instills a bit of kind of positivity around your brand. I think it's the, you know, I think Gucci Beauty, I think one of their campaigns came out as one of the most popular campaigns in, from a beauty perspective. And, you know, it's been, you know, its campaigns are incredibly inclusive and diverse. So I think it's, it's one of those things where you kind of garner that really nice positive sentiment as well from consumers. Indeed. No, thank you very much for, for bringing that topic up as well, Sam. Um, which, before we move on to our lovely data quiz, I do realise that I can't get away without bringing a topic and doing a bit of work myself. So my topic that I brought up, I mean, you guys have all brought up really interesting topics that you're very knowledgeable on as well and talking about. My topic, I'm not going to say I'm an expert in, but I find fascinating the idea of NFTs, non-fungible tokens going forward and sort of stepping into that kind of crypto world. Um, and I find them fascinating because I understand them. I've I do a lot of research into them. Uh, and in beauty, we have seen um, there's at least four or five beauty brands now that have gone into this, stepped into this world. Uh, Shiseido, Givenchy, Elf. Uh, and I think Estee Lauder has gone into it as well with uh, Clinique. They've all got these sort of NFTs that they sell to consumers and it opens up this sort of collectible space. I think in the beauty space right now, 
I think beauty companies are kind of experimenting with this new technology. It's a new thing out there. It's interesting to look at. So it's interesting to see how this will develop. Is it just collectibles for people? Um, I know, for example, um, that some uh, some some of the NFTs, when you buy an NFT, you actually then get physical products as well. So it's connecting that sort of digital piece with and that collectible with actual product. Um, they're not necessarily just because obviously when you buy the NFT for the first tweet, for example, you know, you own the first tweet, that, that one big thing. Whereas um, in beauty, what, what we've seen more of is rather than having a limited edition, some of them are limited edition, but rather than having limited edition artworks, it's a case of there's actually an unlimited amount of NFTs you can purchase. It's just all about having a sort of a step into that brand. And I think that's currently where the beauty industry is playing with NFTs. And I believe in, in other consumer goods industries as well, where right now, I think the value, because the value is always going to go up and down. Obviously, it's non-fungible. So it's, 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 it's only worth what someone's willing to pay, right? Uh, so that's what I find fascinating as well. It's kind of like you could, you could spend all this money on something that is worthless, depending on who you speak to. Um, I also think there's accessibility issues as well with getting people to tap into cryptocurrencies and things like that. Um, there is a sustainability conversation as well around crypto that brings up the idea of you know how much energy Energy is consumed um, by these types of technologies. Um, so there's all these sort of challenges, I think, that the market faces. However, I'm still fascinated by why, I don't know if any of you actually maybe bought an NFT, um, but I'm fascinated as to why people are buying. And I think for brands right now, it's that connection with a brand. It's about that loyalty to a brand. It, it, it means you can buy into that brand. It shows like real support, and real loyalty. I think if you have, if you have a consumer that's buying your NFT, it means you've made a real mark on this consumer, right? So it opens up that conversation and that connection and maybe a bit better with the consumers. I think that is kind of where we're seeing it go. Um, but yeah, I am absolutely fascinated to see um, how this plays out because like we, we started this conversation with Andrew talking about bubbles and I do believe as well NFTs could well be that. It could well just be, it could be that <laughs> bubble that bursts and it could burst in 2022, you never know. Uh, um, but no, I find this whole topic... I, I think it's I, I think it's a great 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 topic, and I know I I was also have observed like more brands jumping in on this uh, sort of bandwagon. I, I was reading uh, in Ad Age the other day that Budweiser has just launched a whole series of you know collectible NFT. I went to have a look at the website; it was like sold out, sold out, sold out. Uh, I heard that Macy's um, launched a series of uh, NFTs aligned with of its sort of iconic Thanksgiving Day parade balloons um, but they did that all they were that was interesting because they sort of tied it because with these nfts they get a cut when it gets sold on and they've sort of t connected that to charitable donations so every time it gets sold on they'll kind of continue to contribute to um i can't remember the name of the charity but um, but obviously yeah i think it all it's all obviously part of that crypto craze uh, Andrew that you referred to I saw some Mintel data actually the other day that said that half I think it's around half of sort of millennial Gen Z saying they're interested in crypto and that was up from like a third you know not that long ago and um, you know so there's clearly this trend and this craze around it but also at the same time these are investments at a time when uh, you know, cash, you know, we talk about inflation and volatility in the market, you know, the, uh, investing in other things other than, you know, having your money in cash is obviously a good idea. You know, we saw um, the, uh, I think the highest I've seen, I, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that the highest I saw was um, there was an NFT sold at Christie's for 69 million by the artist called Beeple, who's like a digital artist and uh, 69 million. And that was, 
earlier this year. And then that kind of crosses over to this whole culture of crypto because there's a credit card that was launched in the US and they had a limited edition Beeple credit card, you know, the design. Um, so it's all kind of a part of the culture, part of the crypto culture, part of the craze. You know, yeah, it's definitely a great topic to keep a close watch on this year. And, you know, there's that investment angle as well, given that uh, cash is being eroded by inflation. Yeah, I really like the idea of kind of tying it to a cause. I feel like as somebody who doesn't fully understand it, so I don't think I might be buying into it anytime soon, but I feel like the ones, the, the examples that I've read up about are the, one, the ones that kind of stand out to me are the ones that are tying it to some kind of cause. So I think the Givenchyang example is a good one because I think they theirs were tied to an LGBTQ plus charity. So it's almost like that idea of kind of creating community around your brand and also you know may have you know that idea of making giving people that feel good factor from buying into these things as well as you know so if that bubble does burst then it doesn't doesn't entirely matter because you've invested in a good cause haven't you so um i think there's definitely interesting things that you could do there and i also i think another great example that i thought was an interesting one from the beauty space was um nars's example so tying it to their their iconic um, orgasm product. Um, and essentially, I think what that did was almost like a tiered system. So they had your, your one that was free and so available to kind of everybody. So kind of democratizing access to these things. Um, but then that the prices went right up to kind of $500 and then were tied to products. And again, it was again tied around the idea of creating that level of like brand loyalty and, you know, it, creating that community around products and as you uh, both Andrews I think have mentioned it at some point is that idea of kind of you know if you've managed to convince consumers to buy into these things then you've got a good brand there definitely. Do you just think it's fascinating that we've moved away from you know collectibles are so inherently tangible you would think like they're a thing that you collect and now we've kind of moved away from that tangibility aspect altogether like what compels people apart from obviously the, the investment angle, which makes sense um, as a millennial myself, I'm heavily into um, cryptocurrencies because that's kind of the only place I can put my money at this point. But what else can, like, what, what does one do with it? You know, do, can you display it? Can you, does it say something about you the way that a normal collectible would? Um, I'm not really sure. Well, I think that's, that's the fascinating thing, isn't it? Because it is kind of like, like memorabilia and things like that. It's, it's the authenticity because, the, the, you know, the, the fact is you can buy this digital artwork, which can be shared and displayed again and again and again quite freely, depending on obviously the rights on that, that piece of artwork. Um, but it's like, you know, like the Mona Lisa or, you know, Starry Night or one of these great artworks that is, you know, we see it again and again reprinted and things. But it's the original. It's about having that actual original thing and having that uh, sort of connection. So I think that's the fascinating thing. I also think, um, I'm not sure if it was Givenchy when they moved into the NFT space, we're talking about it, how it merges this this world, this crypto world. And it's not just about that audience now. It's about actually the luxury goods audience because it's not just about entering crypto. It's also, well, actually now you own something, you own this thing, you're involved in this luxury goods kind of concept as well. So yeah, I am fascinated to see how it plays out. I'm fascinated to find out um, who of my esteemed colleagues will be the first to buy one. Um, if indeed any of you, maybe, maybe you're all sitting there with secret NFTs um, that you have right now. 
Um, Andrew's shaking his head, so that's potentially no. No, no. Um, maybe we should do an NFT of this podcast. Well, well there, there you go. How, we, how do you do it? How can we sell it? How, how can you make millions? Um, I would say, should we sell the first podcast? But um, I can't remember what that was. Um, should definitely have. I, I can. Clean. Oh, can you? It was on the clean oh, trend. That, that will sell. Yeah. That will definitely sell. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> And maybe indeed this this podcast will sell. But no, thank you very much for, I think, four very key talking points there, really, of what we're seeing now and what we're looking forward to in 2022. And um, before we end um, this podcast, this season, this year, um, I did promise a quiz. Um, we are a data company. Um, I can promise listeners that I haven't shared any details of this quiz with anyone. Um, so this is a genuine quiz. Uh, but what I've done is basically gone over base- the last few months. I've just looked at some random consumer data points from different markets around the world. Uh, and I'll pose to you different questions, uh, all for a bit of fun, just to see um, the responses that we get. Uh, so the first question I want to ask you uh, is I'm basically just going to give you a choice of two. So you go, it's a 50-50 choice. Uh, it's from the Digital Trends Report. Uh, or digital trends consumer data, uh, which was a US consumer data um, survey that we've run. Uh, so very quickly, do you think more people would switch to electronic brands that are more environmentally conscious or would more people pay for more, for, uh, more sustainably made electronics? So would people switch to brands that are more environmentally conscious or would they be more willing to pay for sustainably made electronics? Which one do you... To pay more for. You think pay more for. So you think pay more... No, no, no. No, that that was my question. So what to pay more for. So yeah, I think the other one, the switch brands. Oh, that's it. Yeah, so basically, yeah. Which one do you you think consumers said was the high... Was was what they would do or willing to do more? Or the thing... Yeah, the brand being more environmentally conscious or actually just having a more sustainably made and, be, and paying more for a more sustainably made thing. I think the brand is electronics. So, it is electronics. So I think electronics buyers are quite brand loyal, right? So maybe I'll switch it up and say pay more for a brand. I'm changing my mind. There we go. See, it's a good quiz already. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know that's a tough one. I have to, I'll go for the uh, the opposite answer that they'll pay more for items that are sustainably made. And Alicia, do you want to lock in an answer? No, I think I think I'm going to look in brand as well. I think, like I'll Sam said, they they are brand loyal, but also electronics have like an esteem and identity aspect to them. And I think that at the end of the day, a sustainable brand is probably more what people are looking for. Okay, so in the US. of consumers said they would switch to electronic brands that are more environmentally conscious. And US consumers that would pay more for sustainably made electronics, it was 44%. So actually the brand, the more environmentally conscious brand was the answer. Uh, I've I've specifically chosen tight data points. That was a tricky one, but you started with a a tricky one there, Andrew. Well, another quick one, same report. So US consumers, digital trends. Do you think think more people are more reliant on the internet since the pandemic or more reliant on just their tech devices? Internet. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with internet. Tech devices. Oh, Andrew, bucking the trend. 
Yeah. Should have gone with the ladies. I feel like it's the way you're wording the question. Your t- it kind of leads me in that direction, Andrew. It's something <laughs> subliminal that you're like working on my psyche here. Yeah, so 58% of people in the US say they're more reliant on the internet since the pandemic. Uh, and 56% are more reliant on tech devices. So again, still very close. I obviously chose well, And the reason I said it was because not everyone's connected. And so I thought, you know, everyone's reliant. <laughs> on their devices anyway so on to the next i've chosen different consumer data now so this is from the chinese consumer tracker data from last month so literally just the november tracker that's just been published for us now and in that tracker data we asked um i was very intrigued that we asked this question but we asked which of the following sports activities do you think is cool for females to participate in so we asked it. I don't know why we asked it, but we asked this. We asked that. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, I will give you. I will give you the list of the options that we gave to the Chinese consumer. Define cool. And um, well, it just says cool in uh, inverted commas. So that's what we asked. Uh, so I'm just. I will give you the list, and then you just have to pick which which sport you think they defined as the coolest, uh, and then obviously whoever scores the highest wins. And so the sports were boxing, cycling. Equestrianism, fencing, rowing, shooting, skateboarding, skiing, soccer or football, uh, triathlon, and weightlifting. So, so they were the options. Obviously, right off the back of the Olympics. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But which of the which of those sports activities do you think is cool for females to participate in? Which one do you think? It was all. It wasn't just women they asked as well. It was all Chinese consumers, uh, aged between eighteen and fifty-nine. So, which ones do you? So, what do men consider as well? Women. Yeah, yeah. So, what what was that? Sorry. What was the coolest out of that list? Did any stand out for you? I'm to think back how well think, China did in the Olympics. I want to say skateboarding. That was a new one for the Olympics. It was pretty cool. I mean, skateboarding generally is pretty cool. It's a isn't cool it? thing. Me, this is probably from someone coming. <laughs> Someone who's never learned to skateboard. Maybe it's just an untapped uh, desire. Maybe that's going to be my New Year's resolution. <laughs> so you think it's cool? Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm going to go for box boxing. Or should I pick a different one? I can't even I remember, remember them now. Shooting, equestrianism. Yeah. Equestrianism. Let's go with equestrianism. I'll go for a different one. Okay, so equestrianism was 48%. So that, that's, that's actually quite high. Thought, honestly. The high. The highest was 56%. That was skiing. Mm. So skiing is, skiing is the coolest, according to Chinese consumers. Uh, so questions, Andrew, what one did you say? Boxing. Boxing was 27%. So Ooh. a lower one. And then, Alicia, what did you say? I said skateboarding. Skateboarding, that was 40%. So I think oh, Sam was cool. won that one there, yeah. So yeah, skiing was the top. Second was shooting. Uh, with 51% and fencing as well was also 51%. Um, but without keeping score, I think Sam gets the points for that one. Yeah, uh, I'm not completely sure. Last minute change. Uh, and then my la- so my last question, my last question is from our pub visiting um, data that we collected uh, in the UK, of course. Uh, and this is going to be like a family fortune style. So I'm going to ask you the question and not give you any answers. And you just sort of say one answer and we'll see A, if the if people picked it, and obviously then obviously who scored the highest from there. So consumers in the UK on the pub visiting survey were asked which of the following would encourage you to visit a pub or a bar more often. 
Oh, oh, well, I said which of the following, and I can't actually give you the actual following. So, of all the, I've, I've messed up the question there. But of all the things, they were basically asked which things would encourage people to visit a pub or a bar. So, for people in the UK, asked at the end of 2021 in our most recent pub visiting report, what do you think consumers would have said would encourage them to visit a pub or a bar, given everything that's happened in the world as well? But what would you say? would encourage people to visit a pub or a bar. Football match. A football match? I was going to say food. It's not up there. Good food. Football, football match is not up there. Uh, food. Good food. For live sports, no? No, live sports isn't. I, it may well be the way I've asked the question, Andrew. Is it's, it's completely different. Because to be honest, I didn't mess it up to begin with. <laughs> is this to compel them to pick one pub over the other or just to go to the pub at all? Yeah, what, what would you encourage you to visit a pub or a bar? So what, what is in place that would make you think, I want to go to that pub or that bar? Oh, As I say, sport, given yeah. everything that's happened. Um, Safety protocols, right? There we go. Safety protocols would be up there. So COVID-19 measures, that would score you 38% of UK consumers would say they would go somewhere oh. because there are social distancing or regular cleaning in play. So Alicia gets a point for that one. Take it. Mm. I'm also very aware that this is the last question and I've messed it up. Um, so that's always it. That, that falls badly on me. Um, any, other, any other guesses? I'm struggling. <laughs> Can I just list off the reasons I would go to a pub? Yep. Is there good beer on tap? Uh, that, again, is not in the list. Uh, oh, no, actually, no, it is. Oh, the broad range of non-alcoholic drinks is in the list. Okay. The non-alcoholic Actually, drinks are in the is, list. That does work for me at the moment. That's good. That's why you go. <laughs> or using an app. Specifically for non-alcoholic drinks. And using an app to order drinks as well is also, that was 20% of people said that that was a reason to go to the, the pub for them. Oh. The top reason was a, just a convenient location close to my home. That was the 50% of UK consumers say that is what encourages them to go to the pub. Uh, table, service, table service was number two. Again, COVID-related, but outside seating and quiet areas. Um, outside seating was 40% of people. 37% of people said they wanted quiet areas. Uh, and then finally, a family-friendly atmosphere for 32% of people. Mm, nice. However, I do agree with you with the sports thing. Um, so I may, as I say, I may well have actually just asked you the question wrong there. So I may have done the data a disservice. It's more around sort of... Uh... Yeah, it's more recent. Is it? Yeah, I was just yeah. thinking generally what made you go to the pub. Food, drinks, <laughs> Exactly, <music>. exactly. <laughs> Fun fact, I realised the other day that I've never lived more than five minutes from a pub <laughs> in my entire life. Well, there you go. I mean, I had, like I say, it was a very late realisation, so. <laughs> was it on purpose? Or isn't that, just but isn't that everybody that in, the, in, everyone in the UK? Apparently not. Lots of people were saying that they've been at least 20 minutes or up to 40 minutes from a pub. Pick the wrong place to live. <laughs> you, you should have got a convenient location thing right then, Sam, to mm. be honest. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that wraps up uh, our data quiz. Um, I have no idea who won that. I obviously messed up the last question, so I'm just... I didn't win it. I'm an absolute sure. mess at this point. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that as well. I'm going I'm to say Alicia seemed like she won um, a lot of questions right, and I think Sam got a few right, and... She's lives close to pubs, so she's obviously happy as well. So she's a winner. Anyway. 
Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, thank you very much for that. And that kind of does it for today. Looking at the time as well, we have um, had a good conversation about many different topics. Uh, one quick thing I wanted to mention as well was the Spotify Unwrapped that everyone's been receiving over the last 2021, if indeed you do listen to Spotify. Uh, and there were some wonderful sort of snippets of information that we actually got for, from this podcast um, in that uh, with regards to a huge amount of countries um, that are listening in to us. Uh, so much insight over different episodes as well as a, a real variety um, as well with sort of the most listened uh, podcast as well, which was really interesting to go into. And um, was there any from anyone that stands out um, that they would like to talk about? Uh, just very briefly. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing that we were sort of uh, up to 64 countries, listeners in 64 countries. That's uh, pretty amazing. We had our first listener from Morocco. So uh, I guess on behalf of all of us, thank you to everybody listening uh, around the world and our um our, our followers were up 52% uh, in the course of a year. So, uh, yeah, truly a global podcast. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Yes, th- thanks indeed. And thank you all for joining me today for the uh, the festive podcast and for helping uh, us get through this and what was quite a shambolic end to the quiz. So I do apologise for that. Um, but hopefully those uh, listener stats uh, and that engagement with our audience will only increase uh, for 2022. It kind of does it for today. It does it for this season. It does it for this year. Um, special thanks to you guys, our wonderful hosts, uh, who will all be back in the new year with some great podcasts. Special thanks to all of the guests that we've had throughout this year special thanks to all of the listeners um, hopefully there'll be more opportunity for us to have more engagement with the listeners throughout the years as well uh, if you want to learn more about the podcast or Mintel in general then please head over to Mintel.com or to the Mintel platforms uh, please get in touch we're always uh, wanting to hear more from people uh, and be sure as well to subscribe to Little Conversation wherever you get your podcasts if you don't already um, but Andrew Sam Alicia, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you all have a wonderful holiday season and a happy new year. And you too. Uh, and we will see... Oh, no, no. You too. Merry Christmas. Of, of course. <laughs> yeah. no, Merry Christmas indeed. Merry Christmas yeah, happy indeed. Happy Christmas and happy new year. Indeed. And we will hopefully be seeing everyone uh, in the new year. Um, so everyone have a great holiday and a great new year. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.